Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Louisville, Kentucky is Betsy Wade. Betsy is Chief Compliance and Ethics Officer at Signature Healthcare. And today we're going to take an interesting look at compliance budgets. Uh, Betsy, first, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thank you for asking me. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I read your column in Compliance Today magazine uh, about compliance budgets. And what I liked is you looked at it as being more than just a collection of dollars and cents. What I think is notable is the Department of Justice has made it clear that the budget is one way it measures how real the compliance program is. And that's really what you address. So what does that mean in practice for compliance programs and the organizations they work for? Well, as you mentioned, in June of 2020, the DOJ, they did discuss in their compliance program effectiveness guidance, the importance of making sure that you scale your compliance program resources to match the size and complexity of the organization and especially its risk profile. And a lot of organizations do their annual risk assessment around the budget cycle. Um, And the reason why they do that is because the outcome of the risk assessment can really inform the resource needs for the organization, such as additional staff, you know, whether they need certifications and education, or if the department needs software, or if they need to, you know, increase their travel and expense budget, for example. So budgets are definitely one way that the DOJ does look at healthcare organizations to try to determine how effective the compliance programs are. And it really is more than just, you know, the dollars that are allocated, you know, to the budget. Um, They also take into account, you know, resources such such as staffing. Um, You know, does the department have enough staff to effectively audit you know, document, analyze, you know, investigate, you know, act on all of the compliance efforts that they are expected to carry out uh, to do their work. Yeah, and it's funny, it's not literally a metaphor, but the size of the budget really can be sort of, I guess, emblematic of how much commitment there is to the program. And I think it's something for people to recognize as they go through the process. Now, Clearly, the DOJ isn't asking for compliance programs to be given a blank check. How do we decide what is reasonable? So one of the things that the DOJ has stated in its guidance is that budgets should be based on the size and complexity of the organization. So no two organizations are going to be the same, you know, when it comes to budgets. Um, Benchmarking is a good way to compare your compliance department to another compliance department, um, trying to make sure you have as close to apples and apples as possible. Um, But you can look at those benchmarking surveys, um, particularly the one that's conducted by HCCA, and you can look at, you know, the staffing recommendations, the salary recommendations, um, you know, other resource recommendations. And A couple weeks ago, uh, Kenneth Polite, who's the new Assistant Attorney General for the DOJ's Criminal Division, he spoke at a meeting um, at the American Health Lawyers Association that was uh, the Fraud and Compliance Forum. And he had actually served as a Vice President and Chief Compliance Officer for a Fortune 500 company that was headquartered in New Orleans. And he recommended uh, during his presentation that compliance departments employ one 
compliance FTE for every 1,000 employees in the organization. And that's the first time I've ever heard that uh, that benchmark shared. Um, and I found it, you know, to be interesting. Um, and then I've thought about, you know, the compliance departments that I've led, you know, in the past and, and now currently. And I think, you know, most of my teams have fallen within that, that recommendation. Uh, but I do think it was interesting that he put that out there. No, it's very interesting uh, to have some sort of a metric to go against. Now, you mentioned something earlier that not everything that's a part of the compliance program fits within the budget. There's other resources that organizations can tap into. Um, what should, though, be included in the compliance budget? Well, there's some basic things that should be included in the compliance budget. Obviously, you'll have your staff salaries and benefits, um, any projected increases or bonuses that may be paid uh, to those staff for the for the upcoming year. There are other costs such as travel, um, you know, lodging and mileage expenses. Um, if your team has to travel to various sites within your organization, um, the costs of certifications. If your if your staff members uh, obtain their CHC um, or their certification in healthcare privacy or other certifications, um, you know, you have to include the cost for obtaining those certifications as well as any renewals of those certifications, and then just general education and training for members of the department. Um, you know, attending meetings such as HCCA's Compliance Institute or regional HCCA meetings, um, webinars, and and other um, educational programs that may be provided. Uh, funding is often needed for that, and then things for like you know dues uh, for HCCA, other organizations that your staff may be members of, a licensure uh, that your staff may have. I, for example, I have several attorneys on my team. Um, I also have um, staff who are RNs or therapists and they have to renew their licensure on an annual basis. And then things like subscriptions, you know, if you subscribe to any, any professional newsletters or things like that, those also should be included in the budget. Also, if you are purchasing services outside the organization to assist with your compliance program, such as consulting or even um, outside legal counsel, those types of items should be included in the budget. Also, things like external auditing and monitoring. Um, you know, if you hire an external auditor to, to do a review, that should be included. And then things like software subscriptions. There are a number of areas that compliance is typically responsible for managing, such as the, the hotline for the organization is typically a third-party contract, um, conflict of interest management software, policy management software. Some organizations also have software to help manage the risk assessment process. Um, so any of those types of items should be included in the budget going forward. And then finally, if the organization has something like a corporate integrity agreement, then those additional costs to cover things like an independent review organization also should be included. That's a lot. Now, is there anything that shouldn't be included that tends to end up there anyway? Well, it's funny you ask that because in, in some organizations where I've worked, I have seen things end up in the compliance budget um, that probably shouldn't be there. So I would say things that typically should be handled under operations um, shouldn't go under the compliance budget. 
Well, it's often the case that things tend to end up in budgets for no real reason because, say, years ago, somebody won an argument and uh, it just gets stuck there. Now, are yes. there any tips or tricks you can share for persuading leadership that it's time to invest more in compliance? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's good to constantly evaluate your budget, um, not just during the budget cycle each year, but throughout the year, you know, particularly if the organization is growing, um, if you're going through mergers and acquisitions or joint ventures and you're adding uh, different entities that the compliance program has to provide services to, it's always a good idea to reevaluate the budget. And those budgets always should be reviewed by the organization's compliance committee and even the governing board at least once a year. So other things that you can tap into, um, you know, other than what's going on within your organization itself is the use of benchmarking, as I mentioned earlier. Um, also looking at things like salary surveys, um, such as the ones the HCCA and SCCE release on an annual basis. Uh, those are great to look at um, and great to use as justification if you need to, you know, bump up the rate, you know, bump up the salaries of your staff. And then finally, the results of the risk assessment. Um, I feel like the risk assessment is really the foundation for the compliance program. And uh, once you conduct that risk assessment on an annual basis, it really tells you what the needs are in the organization. It defines the risks, you know, and the areas that need to be reviewed by the compliance program. And based on those risks, the compliance officer should be able to determine, you know, whether or not additional resources are going to be needed, you know, for example, additional staff, um, additional money for travel and expenses, um, additional money for monitoring and auditing, particularly if it's a new area for the for the compliance program. So there are a variety of things that may need to be added uh, to the budget as a result of the risk assessment results. And of course, there's always, though not off as often, things that can be eliminated or reduced, um, especially after you've made a big investment in one area, Correct. it's possible it'll go down. And, and taking that step gives credibility to show you're just not asking always for more money, uh, which nobody wants to be perceived as doing. Well, Betsy, thank you for sharing these insights with us in the magazine and here today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaup from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.